1: Man, I can't believe it. This is this is the final show of 2023. Does that sound ominous? <laughs> it wasn't meant to. It's just, uh, here we go. Yeah, we're, we'll have a brand new year ahead of us. And uh, 2024, of course, causing more than a few people, myself included, to kind of sit back and take a breath. Oh, boy. <sighs> here we go. I, of course, the season finale for 2023, that might be something to behold as well. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, what happened during 2023 that was notable, as well as a little prognostication of what's to come. Before we go there, first of all, let me thank you for tuning in this program. Look, this is nothing special. I'm not a smart guy. I'm not accomplished. I don't hold multiple degrees and, you know, uh, masters and PhDs in this subject and that subject. I'm a simple guy who wants to know the truth and, more importantly, to speak the truth for those who are looking for it. And I fully acknowledge and accept that's not everybody. Most people would rather have attaboys and they'd like, you know, a check with their name on it or, you know, some kind of major award to to show them how good they are and how right they are. And this is one of those times, though. This is that curious part of history where if if you're really committed to truth, you're going to have to get used to being on your own. You're going to have to get used to being in your own company more often than not. The crowd doesn't really want it. Maybe that's why there's such an emphasis on groupthink and, you know, trying to, to get people to, to fall into line. I mean, it's, it's almost Machiavellian. In fact, it is Machiavellian, really, when it, when it comes to the political aspect, you know, as we head into an election year, are going to see some really crazy stuff. And, and the people who tend to step away from the crowd for purposes of, you know, remaining true to their principles, they're going to catch some pretty big heat. Now this is this has been the case for you know as long as I've well been paying really close attention but wouldn't you think in a society that celebrates all of its legendary freedom so often that exercising that most basic freedom of association wouldn't raise any eyebrows but if you refuse to get fully vested in the emotion in the uh, emotions of the election cycle soap opera you will be accused of a lot of things I believe thinking back to 2016 in particular I remember by by saying look i don't know i don't know that i see a candidate that i could really put my my uh, confidence in a vote you know behind i had people months before the the election telling me well you've already elected the wrong candidate so what do you do what do you do people get upset when they learn that some of us are no longer willing to run with the herd now, i know some people take offense well how dare you compare society to herds but I, look wiser men than me Figured this out a long time ago. Scottish author Charles Mackey, remember him? He's the guy who said, men, it has been said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds. while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one. So, as an adult, and I'm talking about myself here, as someone who spent much of his life running with the herd, and, and I'm still in the process of slowly recovering my senses, Mackey's words ring true to me. And I, uh, I got to say, Nancy Reagan was right about what our answer should be when someone offers us something that we don't want or that we don't need. And right now, the, the current, uh, you know, political fervor that's building, it's a fascinating study in groupthink and compulsory consensus and Machiavellian tactics. That's because the appearance of party unity is valued far above any individual commitment to truth or light. I know, they have fancy names for it. pragmatism. It's just pragmatic, reasonable, what people would do. No. It's about fear, at least for most people. We've got to do this or else, or else what? The next Hitler is going to be elected. Really? We seem very good at uh, at looking, you know, to fear and crisis and urgency rather than looking to reason and principle. And yet reason and principle properly applied are the very qualities that keep us from falling prey to those manipulators and those power seekers who like to promote unsound policies and unsound options. So, I'm sorry, I'm on a little bit of a rant, but that's one of the biggest concerns I have for the coming year because what we're essentially going to be invited to, in fact, we're going to be, (laughs) it's going to be insisted, you know, you will RSVP or else you're going to be a bad person. It's more like an extremely well-financed high school pep rally. The atmosphere will be saturated with this desperate need to affirm our team's infallibility, and of course the need to vanquish our designated foes. But unlike the high school equivalent, this contest is primarily just about determining which way the spears or the force of the state will be pointed when it's over I just I I try to understand why why do people get so hostile why do they feel like well it all depends on this I know we've been conditioned to believe and the news is reported as if politics is all that matters but I'd ask you to think about this when you encounter someone for whom political power is the ultimate dynamic that they feel should drive every human interaction. What kind of people do you run into? Now, if the word Karen popped into your mind, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Or it could be someone who's, you know, upset because, well, you misgendered me. And, you know, again, it comes down to political power. Who has the political power in this interaction? As opposed to why are we not treating each other with, you know, consideration, say, like the golden rule. Would, would advise. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. See, the problem is when enough people get hyper-fixated on the personality of their party's nominees, it turns into a kind of a cult-like attachment to agendas where there isn't that much concern for moral truth, if any. So the fears about, well, this candidate or that candidate's the next Hitler, I mean, it's it's hysterical. And oftentimes you'll find people accusing others of exactly what they're doing, but Can we just acknowledge human nature just for a moment and recognize ambitious, wicked people have always sought to obtain power for the purpose of dominating their fellow citizens? But historically, what brings those kinds of people to power are the kind of people who unquestionably give their allegiance to scheming power seekers who lack virtue. So what does that mean for you and me? Notice, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not even telling you don't even vote. I'm just saying... You should not allow yourself to be seduced by the siren song of a promised solution to every fear or want you could possibly have. That sense of safety in numbers and that detachment from moral authority in collective action can open the door to acceptance of policies or actions from which a principled individual would actually recoil in horror. I like how my friend Connor Boyack, the president of Libertas Institute, puts it. Most people are really good at rejecting evil in hindsight. He says, We revile the despots of world history and we recognize their tyranny quite readily, but few are able to apply such scrutiny in the present and thereby tolerate or support the very violations they claim to detest. I think Nietzsche actually warned about this. With You know, if you stare too long into the abyss, it stares back into you. You can become the monster that you're trying to fight. So, at the risk of running afoul of of those who are already emotionally invested in the election year next year. I just want to affirm that I'm not trying to do this because, look, I'm so above that. I'm so aloof and so much better that I don't have to worry about the mundane things that you get caught up in. I'm speaking as your friend. I'm encouraging you to resist the urge to run with the herd and instead have as much moral clarity on your principles as possible. I'm not your enemy. I am your friend, your truest friend who is willing to speak to you unpleasant truths and and risk angering you or upsetting you because I believe that these are things that are worth it. I care more about where we are going and encouraging people to be true to their deepest held principles than I do about uh, getting the accolades and attaboys of saying something that everybody finds soft and comforting to their ears and, and can readily agree with. I'm paraphrasing something that Solzhenitsyn said a long time ago, and it was along the, road, along the lines of, you know, your true friend is the one who will tell you the unpleasant truth. And, of course, you, you'll know that you're being treated like an enemy <laughs> by the powers that be, as well as many of the people who are true believers, and, well, this power has to, has to prevail. All I'm asking you to do is please don't run with the herd or don't feel the need to, to give up that, that uh, last, you know, inch of moral high ground that you hold in order to be comfortable because the herd isn't looking at you as someone who's apart from them. All right, I'll step off the soapbox here. I think think I've made my point. By the way, thanks to my sponsors, lifesavingfood.com, tmcpnation.com, Ironsight Brewing Company, that's ironsightbc.com, and quiltandsew.com.
0: We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, thank you for tuning in today.
1: I'm sorry I got a little bit wrapped up there in that uh, opening segment, but sometimes I do and I just kind of go with it. Time will tell if I've rolled the dice (laughs) and come up with snake eyes or, you know, something that was more of a winning hand or a winning uh, roll, rather. So I want to spend a little bit of time here. I'm going to skip right to the article of the day, and I'd like to share with you Doug Casey's breakdown of what really happened in 2023 and what comes next. This was published this morning on LouRockwell.com. Well worth your time to check it out. And it's an interview done with International Man who asks Doug Casey, this is how they frame the question. As we approach the end of the year, let's take a step back, look at the big picture, and put 2023 into perspective so we can better understand what may come next. Significant financial, economic, political, cultural, and geopolitical developments occurred in 2023. On the cultural front, for instance, 2023 may be the year that the tide started to shift against the woke insanity. BlackRock's Fink dropped ESG. Woke movies continue to bomb at the theaters. Bud Light, Target, and Disney continue to feel the pain of deliberately alienating their customer base. So the first question for Doug is, what is your take on the cultural developments of 2023? And Doug Casey responds, well, there are always reactions to major trends. These things are worth noting, but considering the virulence of the woke movement, the reaction has been tepid. There's always a rear guard fighting for things as they are. And that's wonderful because the wokesters want to overturn the entire culture much the same way as the Jacobins overturned it in revolutionary France. The Bolsheviks overturned the culture in Russia, the Red Guards in China, or as Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot did in Cambodia. The the wokesters, he says, are potentially just as dangerous because their way of thinking is everywhere in the West. They're similar to movements I've just mentioned in that they are stridently against free speech, free thought, free markets, tradition, and limited government. Nothing new there. But they've weaponized gender and race as well. They're virulent, humorless, and puritanical. They see themselves as the wave of the future, but they've only repackaged the notions of Marx, Lenin, Stalin, and Hitler. Now, he says, my view is that the wokesters hate humanity and hate themselves. They're dishonest, arrogant, and entitled. Look at the current scandal involving the diversity hire presidents at Harvard, Penn, and MIT. They're shameful embarrassments. He says the fact that their board of trustees installed these fools shows how deep the rot goes. The woke have ingrained psychological and spiritual aberrations. They don't just control academia, finance, entertainment, and the media. They also dominate the state's apparatus, which means basically they have the law on their side. Perhaps ESG is being de-emphasized by BlackRock, the new vampire squid, but that's only because they fear losing money more than they value their beliefs. The more pernicious DEI remains a major cultural trend. Where will it end? Well, he says, wokeism is more than a passing fad. There's a good chance it will end with a violent confrontation between people who have culturally conservative views and those who want to destroy Western civilization and upset the nature of society as we know it. That's pretty concise. And this is, this is why I really like to see what Doug Casey is saying about certain events. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it all. I'm just saying he's been really good at adding things up and 2 plus 2 equals 4. I think he's good at connecting the dots here. Okay, next question. International Man says 2023 was a year of major geopolitical developments. It became evident to even the mainstream media that the war in Ukraine was not going well for NATO. There was the Hamas attack and the Israeli invasion of Gaza. Azerbaijan defeated Armenia to reclaim a long-disputed territory. Saudi Arabia welcomed Syria back into the Arab League and ended the war in Yemen, restored diplomatic ties or diplomatic relations, rather, with Iran, joined the BRICS countries, and expanded its economic ties with China. Now, these are just a few of the most prominent geopolitical events of 2023. What do you make of the geopolitical situation and where things are heading? Doug Casey answers The end of U.S. hegemony over the world in all areas is becoming obvious. The world resents being bullied and controlled by Washington, D.C. He says they realize the U.S. government is bankrupt and is living entirely on printed money. Its military is bloated and more expensive than the U.S. can afford. While it's bloated, it's also being gutted, unable to recruit new soldiers and sailors. It's easy to see why that's the case. They see pointless wars fomented everywhere. The type of people who traditionally join the military are disgusted by the woke memes circulating through the services. White males who have always been the backbone of the military are appalled at being actively discriminated against. So U.S. hegemony is ending financially, economically, and militarily. Now, Doug says it's obvious when you see that Biden and Harris, two utterly incompetent, ineffectual fools, are the nominal heads of the government. Not to mention all the degraded and psychologically damaged people in the cabinet. Of course, nobody has any respect for the U.S. anymore. The U.S. hegemony of the last hundred years is on its way out. And as that old order changes, there are going to be upsets. The U.S. will leave a vacuum that will be filled by other forces. In fact, he says, the U.S. is the biggest danger to the world today. It's not providing order, and by sticking its nose into everyone else's business everywhere, it's promoting chaos. Its 800-plus bases around the world are provocations. The carrier groups that it has wandering around are sitting ducks with today's technology. Doug says the U.S. is the main source of risk in the world, not safety. He says U.S. military spending is really just corporate welfare for the five big defense corporations— which build weapons suited for fighting the last war or maybe the war before the last war. For instance, a missile frigate or destroyer guarding a carrier may carry 100 vertically launched anti-aircraft missiles at $2 million each. Each missile might succeed in shooting down a $10,000 drone, but what happens when the enemy launches 200 drones at once? The chances are the U.S. loses a $2 billion destroyer if not a carrier. And he says the U.S. government is finding out they're not only disliked, but disrespected by countries and people all over the world. They're increasingly viewed as a paper tiger or the Wizard of Oz. When they lose the fear factor, he says, it's game over. The next question is, in 2023, the U.S. continued the trend of more political polarization. International Man asks Doug Casey, what were the most consequential events on the U.S. political front. And what do you think comes next? Now, Doug says, let me reemphasize that the Jacobins who control Washington, D.C. had the same psychological makeup as past revolutionaries that I've mentioned. These people are incapable of changing their minds or reforming. I think they'll do absolutely anything they can to retain power. Meanwhile, traditional Americans in red states see that Trump is being railroaded with lawfare to derail his campaign. They're angrier than ever, justifiably. The red people and the blue people really hate each other at this point. They can't talk to each other. The country has been completely demoralized as traditional values have been washed away. It's now very unstable. The coming election, should we actually have one, will not just be a political but a cultural contest. Culture wars are especially dangerous in the midst of a financial collapse and an economic collapse. Now, I have to tap the brakes here because there's more to this article, but we're fast coming up on our own break. I don't know if you caught the news yesterday, but it sounds like the Secretary of State for Maine decided that, yes, we're going to remove Trump from the ballot in Maine as well. But then turned around, or was it a judge? I can't remember now. Anyway, one of the officials in Maine said Trump is off the ballot, but then she turned around and stayed the implementation of her order. In other words, it was all for show. Was it just a provocation? I don't know. I do know this. You know, we, we haven't even finished out 2023. We've still got a couple of days to go. And, uh, and it seems like the intensity is being dialed up. Now, don't be feeling hopeless. There are still things you and I can do. One of the most important things we can do is not allow ourselves to become politically possessed. In other words, shore up all the other areas of our lives that are not politics. That should be most of your life, by the way, at least if you're a happy, well adjusted person.
0: And build those uh, friendships and family relationships. You're going to need them. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is. Is the Brian Hyde Show? All right, welcome back to the show.
1: Again, a quick shout out here to uh, my sponsors, including Ironsight Brewing Company. This is my friend John Harvey. He uh, he just kicked this off uh, within the last few weeks, and I got to tell you, I think he's got a heck of a company here. We're talking incredible gourmet coffee from the roaster to your coffee cup in 72 hours. It's a subscription service, and if you're not a coffee drinker, that's okay. He's got some pretty cool swag, too, as far as cups and, and uh, uh, you know, things that, that would go along. I mean, am sure you drink some tea, drink some hot chocolate, whatever you want. But uh, if you want to check it out, IronsideBC.com is the web address. All right, back to this article here from Doug Casey. Actually, it's International Man Interviewing Doug Casey, what really happened in 2023 and what comes next. Doug is asked next about, uh, about some monetary matters. International Man says the projected annual interest expense on the federal debt hit $1 trillion. That's the interest on the debt. $1 trillion for the first time in 2023. Americans are still paying for the rampant currency debasement during the COVID hysteria as the price of groceries, insurance, rent, and most other things continued to rise in 2023. 2023. It looks like a recession is on the horizon. And so International Man then asks Doug Casey, what are your thoughts on economic developments in 2023 and your outlook for the months ahead? Doug says, as an amateur student of history, it seems to me that the U.S. has been moving away from the founding principles that made it unique for over 100 years. He says, I'm 77. I've watched it happen firsthand for much of that time. The trend has been accelerating. The country is heading toward a massive crisis because it's lost its philosophical footing. The result is going to be a really serious depression. I call it the greater depression. The spread between the haves who live in multi-million dollar houses and the have-nots who live in tents isn't new. After all, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. What's new is that the middle class is being impoverished. What's left of the middle class is deeply in debt: student debt, credit card debt, car loan debt, mortgage debt. and if they're lucky enough to have a house with the mortgage debt, they're rent- if they're not lucky enough to have a house with mortgage debt, rather, they're renting, and rents have gone up so rapidly that if the average guy has an unforeseen $500 expense, he can't pay it. That augurs poorly for consumption. It's said idiotically, that the American economy rests on consumption. Now, Doug says it's idiotic because it should be said that it rests on production. But I'm not sure the U.S. produces that much anymore. Most of the people who work basically sit at desks and shovel papers. Few actively create real wealth. On top of that, the country is vastly over-financialized. The bond market has already largely collapsed, but it can get a lot worse as interest rates head back up to the levels that they were in the early 1980s and beyond. Much lower stock prices are in the cards, both because of higher interest rates and because people won't be consuming such massive quantities of corporate produce. The real estate market rests on a foundation of debt. It can easily go bust as interest rates go up. We're already seeing this with office buildings across the country. And of course, these office buildings are financed by banks, and banks are going to see a lot of defaults on the loans they've made. Meanwhile, bank capital invested in bonds has eroded, because bond prices fall in proportion to the degree rise in interest rates, which have gone from close to zero to five or six percent. If banks had to mark their loans and capital investments to the market, most of them would already be bankrupt. So can the government paper all these things over by printing more yet more money? Doug says, I suppose, but at some point very soon, the dollar will lose value very rapidly. It will be treated like a hot potato they're caught between a rock and a hard place the next question from international man this year we saw the price of gold hit a record high uranium reached 8125 per pound and bitcoin more than doubled as it entered a new bull market meanwhile the s&p 500 is up around 21% year to date as of writing so they ask what are your thoughts on what happened in the financial markets in 2023 and what could come next Doug Casey answers, well, unfortunately, the U.S. Central Bank, the Fed, has a gigantic amount of influence over the markets. They can employ quantitative easing, which means printing money, and quantitative tightening, which means decreasing the money and artificially raising interest rates. They have many hundreds of Ph.D. economists on staff, but all these people operate on phony Keynesian theories of the way the world works. The consequences of building an economic system on a foundation of paper money and gigantic amounts of debt are potentially catastrophic. So he says at this point, the economy's on the razor's edge. If they push the print button and hold it down too long, we could go into runaway inflation. Or, to tamp down inflation, they might raise interest rates and contract the money supply, which might set off a 1929-style credit collapse. We're caught between Scylla and Charybdis. Sharped at this point. And I don't believe it's a question of a soft landing or a hard landing. It's a question of how devastating the crash landing will be. Now, he says, I hope they can ring one more cycle out of all of this because I personally prefer good times to bad times, even if they're artificial good times, because you see he says the bad times are going to be very real. Now, I don't share this with you for the purpose of making you feel like, oh, where's my antidepressant pills? <laughs> I need something to, to lighten my mood a little bit. I get it it's a hard truth. It's it's unpleasant for for anybody to face. Having said that, don't you feel just a little bit better though to to know that 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 uneasy feeling in your stomach is justified. It's warning you of danger and it's warning you you know this is not going to continue indefinitely. Now here's here's the good news, okay? If if we are facing bad times, and I believe that uh, you know, the next year could actually be our first real test that we have seen in which all of us really have to to strive to get by. If you see it coming, if you recognize it for what it is, at least you have the, the uh, advantage of being forewarned. The second thing to keep in mind, it's a season. It's not going to be our forever destiny. And yes, we will be forever doomed to stagger the earth Clothed in rags and eating rats or sawdust bread or something like that. No. I don't know how hard times can get, given what uh, some of the past historical cycles that I call, you know, that I refer to as fourth turnings, per the book by Strauss and Howe. Um, You know, it can be very challenging. The American founding period and the the, uh, revolution, where they separated themselves from Britain... That was a tough time for a lot of people, but they made it through. And on the other side of that season was a very, very bright season. Okay, not perfect. It wasn't like all their troubles went away. But what was launched was a nation that was predicated upon individual freedom and limited government. That was a good thing. Now, the war between the states that followed roughly 80 years later, again, an existential crisis, the the nation's very existence hung in the balance. When it was over, one great wrong had been corrected, the slaves had been freed, but unfortunately everybody else, and I mean everybody, found themselves under a new kind of political slavery, under a national government rather than a federal government. Next came the Great Depression and World War II. Again, <clears throat> lots of suffering, lots of difficulty, but it too passed, and when things were over, there was an entirely new arrangement of how the world was ordered. I guess we are we're in for another major shakeup. Now, there's nothing you can do to stop it. But there's a lot that you can do to be the kind of person who has the character and the uh, the farsightedness to to not only live through such times, but to actually become a much better version of yourself. Thanks to those difficult times. I know I'm, what I'm talking about means we will all be out of the comfort zone and probably for a prolonged period of time. On the other side of that difficulty, though. We will see the ability to be much better people, much better informed, much stronger than we thought we were, and perhaps even much more influential than we realized we could be. And that sounds like, well, you're talking like a masochist, like this is actually enjoyable. I don't like pain, and I don't like suffering, and I, I don't like to be uncomfortable more than anybody else. I mean, I, I, I don't like to go through difficult times. But I believe that uh, there's a reason that you have the awareness that you have. I believe there's a reason that I do the things that I do. And if I could be so bold, it's because I feel a sense of personal mission and purpose like, God has given me a task to do, and it's a simple task, and, and it's a small task, and no, it's not going to be widely appreciated by very many people. I'm okay with that. At least, you know, for, for me, I feel like I'm doing what I was born to do. And it's taken me my whole life to tap into that and develop the, the skills and the, the insights and the, the understanding necessary to do that. I'm suggesting that you, likewise, have a mission and a purpose, which you may or may not have uncovered yet, But if you are willing to undergo some discomfort and pain, much like exercise, you might be surprised at the incredibly refined, chiseled, buff kind of person you can be on the other side of it. Of course, I'm saying all this predicated on uh,
0: part of what makes that work is, you know, seeking God's help. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Final segment, last
1: segment of the year for 2023. Oh, man. By the way, I don't know if you caught this. I'm I'm including an article. This is from uh, Deborah Hine, writing for AmericanThinker.com. Very curious uh, phrase that's been going around. Have you heard a lot of people talking about the Black Swan event in 2024? Apparently, there was a recent roundtable of journalists sharing their 2024 predictions, and a respected investigative reporter, that's uh, CBS News senior investigative correspondent, Catherine Herridge, back on Christmas Eve, said that she feared a national security event with high impact could occur in the next year. But she's concerned that 2024 might be the year of a black swan event. I've heard that phrase a few times. I'm still not sure exactly what it means. But um, the thing that makes this noteworthy, that Catherine Herridge was saying this, is uh, she's formerly the chief intelligence correspondent for Fox News, known for her objective and accurate reporting. In other words, she's one of the few exceptions who's not just a shill or lapdog, you know, to those in power. She has good sources in the intelligence community. She stood out from the rest of the media in her reporting on the Russia hoax and many other major news stories. So when she says that there is a black swan event, that's a high-impact event that's difficult to predict under normal circumstances, but in retrospect, appears to have been inevitable. And what she said is this is a national security event with high impact, so it's very hard to predict. There are a number of concerns I have that factor into that. And she pointed to the nation's enduring heightened threat level along with the wars in Israel and Ukraine as reasons for her concern. Now, FBI Director Christopher Wray confirmed during a November House Homeland Security hearing on the border crisis that the open border poses a major national security threat. At the time, the Department of Homeland Security conceded that nearly 1.8 million known gotaways were loose in the country amid a rising number of individuals on the terrorist watch list apprehended at the southern border. Some worry that sleeper cells of enemy foreign operatives awaiting an activation call are among the 8 million migrants who've crossed the southern border during Joe Biden's tenure. Others are worried that maybe there could be an EMP attack that could wipe out the country's electrical grid for weeks or even months on end. By the way, I don't worry so much about it coming from necessarily an, an enemy country or, you know, some non-state actors, you know, detonating, you know, an EMP attack uh, against uh, our electrical system, the sun and the Earth's deteriorating magnetic field. That's that's a very real threat, too. Anyway, something to keep an eye on. Don't be scared with it. But uh, it's it's definitely a little unnerving when you hear people talk about, oh, there could be a black swan event. I don't know what it could be but i know that uh, there's it's always a good time to be getting out of debt, making sure you got some preparations stored up, you have the ability, the tools and skills to be as self-sufficient as possible, learning how to fix your own stuff, learning how to grow your own food, learning how to take care of, you know, small livestock, building partnerships with your your neighbors, your friends, your family. We can make it. We can weather some pretty tough stuff. We have we have it in us. In fact, if there's anything that uh, if I don't want to sound like I'm thumping my chest here, if there's anything that Americans do very well, it is innovating when they have no choice but to find a solution. So that's something to think about. All right, I got to take a moment too, and I got to tip my hat to Gaston Glock, who passed away at the age of I believe 94 earlier this week. This is the guy who invented Glock pistols. Now look, I you have to understand. As a kid, I loved firearms. I I was I was always intrigued with them. You know, my favorite toys were my cap guns, and and if I didn't have a cap gun or something, I could always find a stick or a board that made a suitable you know type of rifle. Wonderful stuff. But I was really intrigued when the Glock. Handgun came out, and I believe it was in 1981 or something like that 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 he patented the uh, polymer-framed pistol. And and what blew me away was the only the only pistol I'd really seen before that was maybe you'd see a representation of say a Browning High Power or maybe a Beretta 92. I just remember, wow, you know, this is so fascinating. You know th- these these handguns, and then then Glock came on the scene, and suddenly here you have this handgun. It's square, it's not, not the prettiest thing, but very, very simple, very, very reliable, and very, very safe, it turns out. Oh, and it held 17 rounds of reassurance, which, you know, was, was a big sell for me. That, that kind of made me go, oh, wow. Now, I have to confess, I have never owned a Glock. I just, I, I'm sorry if I'm offending any Glock, uh, Glock owners. I, I'm not uh, running you down for owning one, but something about the angle of the 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 rake of the the grip, it just doesn't fit me, or at least I've I've not taken the time to grow acquainted with it, and so I I prefer I prefer other types of handguns, but there is no denying that Glocks are well they they're in a very commanding lead. What was the the statistic I saw? I think it was something like sixty uh, percent, no seventy percent of American law enforcement and civilian market. Is held by Glock. That's amazing. Gaston Glock invented a striker-fired pistol that uh, was reliable, durable, and and just utterly. Well, I won't say utterly foolproof, but it was it was it was close to perfection. And of course, a lot of people have capitalized on that. And there are lots of other uh, lots of other indicators out there that you know others have tried to copy. I think. Uh, Was it Smith & Wesson that uh, had to pay uh, a copyright infringement uh, lawsuit uh, back in the 90s because their Sigma series of pistols was just a little too close to what, you know, Glock was doing with their uh, uh, trigger safety. But anyway, I I just have to give some recognition to Gaston Glock. Nope, sir, I don't own any of your guns, but uh, like John Moses Browning, you have made your mark on the world. And for those who take seriously... You know, the responsibility for protecting themselves, it's pretty hard to go wrong with with a Glock. Now, I do have to offer my standard disclaimer here. You know, if, if Santa Claus was was good to you this year and brought you, you know, a firearm for, for part of your Christmas, that's great, especially if you're a first-time firearm owner. But I would ask you, please, take the time to invest in yourself and get quality training not just the safety training that's good too you should have that uh, first and foremost but get some training in mindset in firearm manipulation so you know how to clear malfunctions how to reload under pressure how to ascertain whether you know your firearm is ready for defense or not and how to think in a life sit- life-threatening situation so that you can prevail it's, it's kind of like the fire extinguisher thing. You know, we, we all like to have a fire extinguisher close by. Nobody ever honestly wished, man, I wish something around here would just burst into flames so I could take out the fire extinguisher and use it. Okay, it's the same thing with the personal defense firearm. Nobody in their right mind wishes for an, ex- an, an, an uh, opportunity to use it or for a chance to, to put it to use. But if it's needed, like the fire extinguisher, nothing else is going to take its place. And frankly, during rough times, uh, I, I asked a friend a couple of years ago, what do you see coming for, you know, for the next couple of years? And by the way, he actually, he pretty accurately called it. He said, I think, uh, you know, I think this is in 2022. I talked with him. He said, I think this year's going to be pretty normal. Next year, meaning 2023, he says, I think things are going to get rougher. But his comment that really shook me, because he's, again, he's a very sober minded individual. And I think he has good grasp of what's going on. He said, by the end of 2024, He says, I'm thinking it's possible that everybody you meet is going to be carrying a gun. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, my gosh, we're going to be killing each other in the streets. But it could definitely mean that things will have broken down to the point where you really are responsible for your own safety and for your own well-being and that's that's the kind of responsibility that requires training. If you don't have training, you're going to go into reset mode when the flag goes up and and you're going to be sitting there going, "Oh, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Or what do I do?" You will default to what you know. So make sure that you have some some training, some muscle memory and some mental capacity to think your way through difficult situations so that you have those options. Sorry. I don't I don't mean to end on a dark note. So, you know, sharpen your spears and uh, get ready, because here we go. I think we'll also see some really exciting things coming for 2024. Maybe, we will, uh, maybe we'll find some solutions to problems that, uh, that we hadn't considered previously. Again, I would ask you, though, above all, know who you are, know what you stand for, resist the urge to run with the herd, and especially... Know what your principles are and hold to them and be true to them. There's safety
0: in doing this. This is The Brian Hyde Show.